Hello and welcome to Peaceful at Heart. My name is Cedric Martin and I'll be your host. Each episode, we're gonna take a closer look at the book, Peaceful at Heart, Anabaptist Reflections on Healthy Masculinity. Each episode, we're gonna dive into the chapters, hear from the authors, and think a little bit more about what healthy masculinity looks like in our modern context. Today, we're joined by Gareth Brandt. Gareth, welcome. Thank you so much for your work on this book. Uh, to start off, would you mind just telling us a little bit more about that first book that you wrote, Under Construction? Yeah, actually, uh, it needs to be rewritten. Because it's, uh, it's now more than 10 years old. Uh, that was actually one of the reasons why, uh, I'll tell you a bit of a story. Uh, one of the reasons yeah. why Don Newfeld wrote this book was as a as as a follow-up he was one of the he was probably the first person to respond to my book and to say oh this is so needed today uh we didn't know each other at all he had just kind of i don't know how he found out about it but he picked it up and we began to have a conversation and now have a friendship uh, as a result so um that, that in itself for me is worth uh, worth writing the book. Uh, so the, the the new edited book is kind of uh, meant as a as a new version really of of the previous one, which was meant to be uh, kind of an an Anabaptist alternative to the wild at heart genre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or as I said, this is a men's book for men who don't read men's books by an author who didn't. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah so uh yeah that's a bit of uh, what i've always been of the opinion previously that there's many other issues that are more important in our spirituality than our our genitalia uh or our our uh, even our gender identity hmm. uh, but as a man in midlife that just began began to be convinced that perhaps that may also have some impact on our spirituality uh, and mm-hmm. so that's what, uh, on one of my sabbaticals, that's kind of what initiated the project. I just read everything I could read and f- found out I was a loser of a man, according to that. <laughs> and so then one of my friends said, well, then why don't you write a better book? <laughs> so That'll that's why <laughs> I say it's, it's for, for men who don't fit those kind of wild and hurt stereotypes. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, Anyway, so that's how I got into this whole thing. I am not your uh, kind of your. Uh, I, I I don't. Uh, I I did some men's retreats. I never went to any uh, as a young man, or even in most of my life. I never went to any at all because I just uh, they just kind of I just didn't feel I related to the promise keepers and all that sort of stuff that was out there when I was uh, a man. Uh, uh, kind of in my 30s and 40s um, or even 20s for that matter that was all that was there I just didn't feel like a fit so anyway that's a bit of an introduction to to myself Uh, I've been uh, a professor at Columbia Bible College now for this is my 21st year uh, after 14 years in in uh, in youth ministry Uh, I started in a 
more conservative uh, Mennonite denomination and then uh, switched to Mennonite Church Canada, where I feel very much at home. I feel like I've come home after um, not being exiled, I guess, but uh, uh, the roots will always, always be there, but I feel like I've, I've found a good theological and spiritual home. Yeah. Well, that's a bit about, about me, about an introduction. Yeah, that's great. So, so Gareth, I just wanted to say that I, I appreciated your perspective and your communal approach to your chapter. Uh, you were bringing in testimonials of other men. Uh, you even quoted some of the other authors that were in this book. Um, for someone that was apparently just sitting alone and writing in your office by yourself, you did a, a great job of bringing a community-oriented chapter together. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, the title of your chapter is Men in Community. And we're sitting here in the wake of COVID-19, and I'm wondering how your perspective might have changed. Uh, will there be maybe a bit more of a falling out due to the isolation? Do you think that there's going to be a better appreciation of time spent in community in the future? Yeah, uh, I think it could be both. Uh, it, it, it remains to be seen in some ways. Uh, I do think that the need for community might be even more acute. Uh, because of some of the uh, the lack of community uh, that has happened due to due to COVID, uh, but I don't think it's going to be just automatic that we will return to the same kind of communal forms that we had before. I think it it's going to have to be uh, in, intentional. In some ways, some things the potential is there for things to fall off. There's no doubt about mm. it in my mind. I don't think it'll be automatic that we'll automatically gain a, a deeper appreciation for it but i the potential is there so the the idea that we don't take it necessarily for granted even once it returns for sure exactly exactly uh gareth you talk about how there are uh unique challenges for men when it comes to experiencing community uh and there's a desire to withdraw instead of gravitating towards community why is that yeah, that's that's a tough question. Um, I mean, part of it is just I think the culture of of independence mm. that is not only um, uh, uh, a male thing. I think in particular in Western cultures, but it's also a a Western cultural trait generally of of all people. Uh, the independence is good, and we value being able to do stuff yourself. And I think mm. that's probably the deepest and most unrecognized reason why it's so hard. And I think in particular for, for men, because men have kind of been the, uh, in charge of the culture for, for millennia, uh, in Western cultures. And so I think we're, we're fighting against something that's pretty deep. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess this sort of relates to what you're just talking about before in that, uh, if we want to build a stronger community out of this, uh, intentional community is a word that's thrown around a lot. And I guess to be intentional means that uh, even though the, the desire there is to withdraw, we have to push against that, I suppose. Yeah. And just to recognize, I think so often we don't, we don't recognize um, our, our cultural privilege, uh, privileges and just the realities uh, you get busy with life and you just do stuff and you don't recognize some of the deeper things. Mm -hmm. You were sharing uh, with me a little bit before, but 
um, about how uh, you haven't always uh, thought about masculinity as a, a large part of your faith, but what, what role do you think now maybe, or what role could masculinity play in your faith or, or perhaps in the church? Yeah. <laughs> My first thing I, I wrote down was not much. Um, <laughs> but I, I think one of the things that I've realized in the last uh, decade or more is to understand the, the power that comes uh, with white privilege and white male privilege. Uh, and I think that's one of the most important things in my own spiritual formation in the last uh, number of years as a, as a white middle-aged male is just realizing and understanding uh, the, the, uh, the power that, and privilege that comes with that. And now even, even though I'm, not the stereotypical man. I'm, I have a slight physique. Uh, I'm an artist. Uh, I, I write poetry rather than going to the gym. Uh, but at the same time, I still share the same privileges of that. Uh, like, as I call it, when I lecture is this is the most powerful people group on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think by not acknowledging and recognizing, uh, then I'm perpetuating. And I think that's where I got to repent from previously, where I just, I didn't rec- I didn't acknowledge it. It's just, oh, their personality, family background, all those things are more important. And I think I've, I've come to realize it's important to acknowledge. Uh, and that, I think, has, has, plays a role in how I see everything uh, hmm. from spirituality to church. Uh, and so perhaps I'm just on the beginning stages of realizing and acknowledging that. No, that's that's good, and that that gives us hope that uh, we can keep reimagining what our our faith looks like, and perhaps what our gender, our masculinity, might look like moving forward. I know I have I have three young adult sons, and I know they're way better at it than I am. Hmm. Uh, it's much more inherent. It's part of a generational thing too. Um, they're in their twenties and thirties, uh, and uh, I'm very proud of uh, of where where they're at, and as a 60 year old and I I'm thinking legacy now rather than I still got to repent for myself too, but I'm also looking at the next generation and Mm. I'm, I'm encouraged uh, by, by where younger men are, are, uh, are taking spirituality. That, that sort of leads me into my next question about uh, in, in your chapter, you say men are stronger and more authentically human in community. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, uh, I teach uh, spiritual formation uh, courses. And I, when I introduce the course, then I always say, here's my subtitle. Uh, my subtitle is How to Become a Decent Human Being 101. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so to me, that is uh, part of what I mean by, by that men in particular, because of the independent kind of swing, uh, need need each other and need other human beings uh, as well of of other uh, gender identities, not not just those who identify as males, but need community beyond that. Uh, I think uh, Carol Penner's uh, critique in the uh, at the end of the book was very very fair. Hmm. Uh, in in defense, I felt that my topic was restricted to writing about men and community. 
But I think she writes about something very important, and that is we also see our need to see ourselves in broader community uh, beyond just those who are are like us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's part of the the strength of spirituality is to understand that. Uh, and the authentic human is just, yeah, to be to be to be real. Uh, we become more real when we when others feed back to us what they see in us Mm. Um, and that yeah it's sometimes difficult for us to hear but i think necessary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah there needs to be sort of an openness within yourself and then an openness within your group i guess to be authentic so uh i wonder uh for yourself you talked a bit about your sons but for you growing up did you have any role models uh, that did they leave any sort of impact on what your vision of healthy masculinity is or what that could look like? Yeah, and obviously uh, both my parents were significant. Uh, my father it, was a very uh, simple farmer, very inarticulate about his. I, I don't recall him saying much about his spirituality at all. Uh, only has you know grade seven education. Um, was not a particularly successful farmer, just what today would be called a hobby farm. Um, but what I, the role model that he was, was he was what I would call a, kind of a quiet loyalty. He would show up. And to me, that's one of the important values is just to show up. Uh, you know, when, when there was a church Bible study, it would be the pastor, the deacon, and my dad. He wouldn't probably wouldn't wouldn't have said anything, but he showed up. Mm. And to me, that's uh, kind of an endearing model that he's been for me. Uh, my mom was, uh, I would guess like in psychological terms, I would say it was a mother dominated household. Mm. She's much more extroverted and articulate. Um, and that I think helped me as a man to recognize that it doesn't have to be the stereotypical uh, in some ways, I they they were in the, the the wrong generation, the wrong kind of at the wrong time, where they, you know, my dad felt that he was inadequate because he wasn't enough of a leader, and mm. my mom wasn't allowed to be enough of a leader, even though that's who she was. Uh, but I think that was a wonderful role model for me in that they they weren't the traditional uh, couple, even though they felt inadequate as, as a result or dreamed in some ways. Uh, But I think they were wonderful models, uh, both of them for me in that. Um, Yeah, and the other one, uh, I'm not convinced yet. uh, My my primary role model as a teenager and as a young adult was was the man who coached me, uh, but also the one who abused me sexually Mm. as 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 a young boy. So that's a bit of a a mixed bag on that one. Uh, I now have come to terms with the, the sexual abuse uh, and yet still recognize that there was some important role modeling of you know, teaching sports and these sorts of things. Um, uh, but I think the the other than the the lasting uh, pain that has caused, I think, uh, in a positive sense, it makes me wary of power, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is yeah. important important for men uh, today is to be wary. It uh, goes back to what I was saying much earlier there. 
Um, but yeah, I don't see that as necessarily as when you say role models, I generally think of positive. Sure. Uh, in that sense, it's also negative, but it, in a positive sense, it points to dangers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I do mention that significantly in the book, so I am open to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, and I have, yeah, the, the, the major part of that journey of healing is, is a, a few decades behind me. Um, but even in the, uh, the present, uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the chapter, a more recent trauma in my life. Uh, and, uh, some of that old stuff comes back and you redo it uh, in a new way. Mm. I'm getting away from the topic here. That's okay. No, this is all part of part of your experience of, of what what shaped what your your vision of healthy masculinity could look like, um, and and uh, the opposite of that, I suppose, too. Yeah, yeah, and I I don't uh, yeah I just can't think of uh, I've had some significant uh, mentors in in my in my life, uh, but those have been more you know like the internship supervisor while I was in seminary those sorts of things, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that. Yeah, there was anything really about a role model for masculine spirituality at all there. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't part of the agenda of that particular relationship. Well, in, in your chapter, you talk about how when you were writing your other book, uh, coming out of that is what sort of formed a lot of these men's groups that you were able to, to continue with and um, to learn from and to grow from. And that helped others as well, I'm sure, to, to have those spaces. So. Um, it's it's all connected. Yeah, most definitely, uh, it it was incredible. The, um, the yeah, just the depth of relationship I had with these uh, half dozen or ten uh, men in in my in my own church. Yeah, uh, became more vulnerable with each other than any of us had ever been uh, before with with other men. Unfortunately, we uh, aren't aren't meeting during during COVID. Um, but uh, my, my guess, yeah, we did meet outside a couple of times last summer around a fire. Um, but other than that, it's it's been a bit more sporadic than, than I think many of us would have would have uh, would have preferred. But that goes for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Aerith, we're we're just about running out of time here, but uh, I, I want to thank you for for spending your your time with us. Before you do go, do you have any sort of sending thoughts to send with us into our day? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. I think your your questions were were good, and uh, I don't have any profound kind of nugget. <laughs> That's okay. Life doesn't always have to be boiled down into a nugget. Yeah, true. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it turns out to be a nugget of something else that you throw away. <laughs> or Fair <enough>. flush. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, I, I appreciate it. Take care. Yeah, you too. Peaceful at Heart was recorded in the city of Takaranto, the land covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. This is the Dish with One Spoon territory. The Dish with One Spoon is a treaty between the Anishinaabe, Mississaugas, and Haudenosaunee that bound them to share the territory and protect the land. Subsequent indigenous nations and peoples 
Europeans, and all newcomers have been invited into this treaty in the spirit of peace, friendship, and respect. We all eat out of the dish, and all of us that share this territory with one spoon. We want to acknowledge the ancestral lands and waterways of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Seneca, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples. Takoronto is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. We wish to thank them and any other nations who cared for this land. Colonization is a continuing form of oppression, so it is important that we acknowledge the lands and digital spaces that we are holding and taking up. We remember the acknowledged and unacknowledged, recorded and unrecorded, past, present, and future. We are all treaty people. Peaceful at Heart was produced and edited by myself, Cedric Martin. It was made possible thanks to Mennonite Central Committee, Mennonite Church Eastern Canada, Be in Christ Church of Canada, Theatre of the Beat, and of course, by Mennonite Men. To find more resources, head to MennoniteMen.org.